by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. At the end of the, the time, they asked all of our men to come up and pray for them. Amen. And it was special because uh, similar to what, what Junior said right now, you know, we're going to go out there and we may not have a lot, but to somebody who has nothing, we, we have something to offer, you know. And uh, sometimes the way that the world looks at particular people, the way that the world looks at particular churches, we can go downtown Brea tonight, and we've done other things. We do Skid Row. We do um, uh, when the riverbed had the homeless community there. But, but when you go to downtown Brea, you might walk up on somebody who's coming out of taps, you know, spending $200 on a lunch that you couldn't afford to go get no matter how long you waited for. But the riches we have, yes. <laughs> You can't look at it that way. They could be dirt poor because they don't have Christ. And that's what we're coming to share. That's what we're coming to give. Um, and God is, he loves to turn things upside down. He loves to take uh, the least. You know, we, we went out with these guys on the beach and I love them. These are our friends. But we walk up and I was like, man, they got, they got campers. They got motor homes. They're cooking tri-tip. You know, we be doing burgers and hot dogs. <laughs> But when it was all said and done, God said, I want you guys to lay hands on them. Amen. So it's so special. Uh, I want to encourage you guys. We put a couple flyers in the back of your chairs. Why don't you guys go ahead and grab them out of your chairs? Uh, put them up in the air so I know that you grabbed them back of your chair. For those of you, these are just a couple for you to take to work with you, a couple of you to take to school with you. Um, you might not be the type that says, hey, I want to go out there and talk to strangers and, and do all that kind of stuff. So I understand that. But there's somebody who needs the riches that you have. And it could be as simple as just giving them that flyer. And imagine that one of your schoolmates, one of your coworkers, one of your friends um, could end up going to heaven because you handed them a little piece of paper. And, and God will use the foolish things to confound the wise. Um, I also want to encourage you guys that if you would just go out there, um, if you're going to eat lunch today anyway, eat lunch over in downtown Brea somewhere. They got all kinds of restaurants from, from Taco Bell and, and uh, what else they got down there? Panda Express to, you can go to Taps if you got it like that. <laughs> Amen. But I just want to encourage you that it'll be encouragement to us. Even if you act like you don't know us, we'll see you sitting down somewhere. And we're like, we're not alone. There's prayer. There's people praying for us. Amen. Amen. So our series is in the book of Ephesians right now. We're in Ephesians chapter four. So you guys can go ahead and turn there. Uh, 
I've got a lot I want to share in this chapter with you, so I want to jump right into it. I'll just say that so far, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, the city of Ephesus would be similar to Sin City, where there's idol worship, there's a lot of lust, there's, there's a, a community of, of people who are just coming in to experience Ephesus, and then going on, it's a, it's a port city. So people are, are landing there, they're doing trade, um, it's, it's uh, kind of like a highways and byways where a lot of people, we... Many of us know people that actually live in Vegas, but most of us, you see people driving into Vegas, doing what you're going to do there and getting out. And even the commercials, they think it's a good thing to say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. This is the kind of city that Ephesus is, right? Where um, there's a lot going on and a lot is just embraced and accepted. And Paul has, has started this community of believers as a planting pastor there. It says that he started with 12 people. And that he began to minister to them, teach them, and a church is, is, is growing and being birthed. But imagine, they're, they're right in the heart of Sin City. They're right in the heart of the most difficult place uh, to be able to serve the Lord. And they have a ton of challenges. But he's teaching them what we've been going through. He's teaching them about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have Jesus, what it means to be uh, uh, called out. And uh, so we'll just pick up in chapter 4. If you get a chance, go back and listen or, or read through chapters 1 through 3. I'm going to pray again if that's all right. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we just believe that uh, uh, it accomplishes what you've sent it out for, Lord. Uh, we understand this morning that there are so many reasons why we may come to church. There are so many reasons why uh, we may decide to gather, Lord. Uh, we come into this place and we're able to lift up our voices and sing unto you, Lord. And as we glorify you, you do this miraculous thing where you empower us and you encourage us, Lord. You comfort us in those times, Lord. And many of us may come for that experience, Lord. But ultimately, Lord, we've come to hear from you. We've come that you would speak to us. We come that you would uh, teach us in our hearts and in our, our minds, Lord God, that you would uh, change us and transform us, Lord. As we open up your scriptures this morning, I ask that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, Lord. Whatever burdens we came in with, whatever praise reports even we came in with, Lord, that we would lay everything to the side to focus all of our attention upon you, Lord, that you would touch us, that you would change us, that you would help us, strengthen us for, uh, for tomorrow. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read through it. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul speaking, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended, for above, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 
but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and in holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Say good chapter. I've been thinking about this every Sunday the last three weeks now, I guess four weeks now. We start by reading a whole chapter, and uh, don't raise your hands, but if that's the only chapter you've read all week, something's got to change. If we read more right now than you read in the last week, you ain't going to make it. We have to read. We have to get into the word of God. But I love that we have a church that's not afraid to do that. So let's get into it. Verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul has done this before. If you go back and look at uh, chapter 3, he started with the same thing. He's reminding him that he's a prisoner of the Lord for them. He's not doing this for fun. He is bound by Christ. It's as if he's shackled. And God says, you will go to these people in Ephesus and love them and teach them. So Paul says, before you listen to what I'm about to tell you, remember, I'm a prisoner of God for you. I love God and I love you. And what I'm about to tell you, if you don't understand that I love God and you don't understand that I love you, you won't be able to receive it. How many of you have been in a place like that where somebody wants to tell you something, but because of who they are or because of how you think of them or because of the fact that they're your boss, you just shut down. <laughs> I don't want to hear what you have to say. Paul's making it a point in the beginning of chapter 4. He's saying, listen, I'm a prisoner of God, and I love him, and I love you. Don't shut down. Don't close me off. Don't act like this is just some person telling you some information. Listen to what I'm about to tell you, he says. In 2 Peter uh, 1.12, Peter says this, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and you're already established in this present truth. Peter's talking to this group and he says, I'm going to keep telling you things that you already know. I'm going to keep reminding you. Paul already told him that he's a prisoner of God, but he says, I'm going to tell you again. We're forgetful. Somebody say amen. amen. 
Paul says, now that you know who I am and what I'm about to tell you, here it is. Walk worthy of your calling. You've been called out of Ephesus and into the kingdom of God. You've been called out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life, and out of an orphanage and into a family. He says, walk worthy of that. You can't just pretend as if that's not a big deal. When you step out of your house, when you step into the church, when you step into your workplace, you should walk as if you understand you've been called out of death and into life. (laughs) Walking is about rhythm, consistency, endurance, and movement. Rhythm to what you're doing. Are you walking on a, on a weekly basis with this spiritual rhythm, with this getting into the presence of God? Are you consistent? Are you enduring all the things that come against you in any given day, any given week? <clears throat> and are you moving? Paul didn't say to them in Ephesus, uh, just think worthy of the calling. He says, walk worthy of the calling. Live it out. Be moving. Have a rhythm. Have consistency. That's what he's calling them to do. The what is walk and walk worthy of the calling. And then he's going to tell them how to do that. That I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with what you were called. How? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What do you think it was like? for a group of people who were all coming out of an Ephesus lifestyle to try to live for Jesus. All of a sudden, somebody comes and tells them who Jesus is, and then he says, now you've got to walk in a different way, and these are all the things that you have to do and how you need to do it, but they're all coming out of this Ephesus lifestyle, this Ephesus way of thinking, these Ephesus vices. It's not an easy task. They didn't have a ton of structure. They didn't have resources or examples to follow. If you want to know how to be a Christian today, you can read a book. You can look at other churches. You can, you can have examples to follow. These people didn't have any of that. They get this letter that they've got to read under candlelight that's telling them what it means to be a Christian, and there's nowhere to look out and say, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to follow that lady. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that church. Oh, there's another type of church that I can go to. None of that exists. And Paul's telling them, you have to walk this way. And you can't look outward to figure out how to do it. You've got to look inward. He gives them a formula. He gives them a recipe for success. He says, lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, and bearing with one another in love. Lowliness is about humility. If you think you're the most important person, you don't have lowliness. (laughs) Paul says right off the bat, stop looking at yourself as as super-duper valuable. Humble yourself. If you're going to walk worthy of the calling with which God has called you, you have to humble yourself. Then he says gentleness. That's about restraint instead of force. Many of us want things, and and when we see them uh, not falling into the place the way that we want to, we use force to try to grab it and grab a hold of it and make it happen. He says you need to be gentle in the kingdom. The way we walk in the kingdom is with um, restraint, not force. Then he says long-suffering. He says you have to have long-term vision and patience. Christianity is about suffering. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one one day. Restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness, um, um, all those things take time. 
Paul says, listen, the way that you need to walk, the how of doing this is you better have a long-term vision. And then he says, bearing with one another in love. This is the picture the Lord gave me. Bracing for impact, right? He's talking about how to live this Christian life to these new believers in Ephesus. He says, brace for impact. Something's about to hit you. Brace for a weight that's about to come upon you. It's going to be coming at you fast and hard, and it's going to be heavy. So brace yourself. But he says, bearing with one another in love. You're not bracing like you're ready for a fight and you get hit with one and you give another one back. He's saying, brace for it to come and when you get hit, you have to respond in love. Because you knew it was coming. The weight is going to be heavy. You knew it was coming. He says, bear with one another. Grit and bear it in love. This is the how you do Christianity. What you have to do is walk consistently and faithfully and prepare yourselves. How many of you came to Jesus out of an Ephesus lifestyle? <laughs> How many of you came to Jesus with Ephesus vices? Just me and Joe. Praise the Lord. Straight out of Ephesus for me. The world that I was involved in, the people I was walking with and running with, the things that I was doing, the things I liked to do, the things that I tried to get other people to do, it was all Ephesus. My way of thinking, my personal vices were all Ephesus. And then when you come out of that, think about this for a second. You take all these people that come out of an Ephesus lifestyle and you put them in a room like this and you call it the church and then we come in here and expect life to be perfect. What's wrong with us? <laughs> it's, we're a bunch of Ephesians. Just because we've come into this room together, we still have things that we have to work through that we better brace ourselves for that we better prepare our eyes for and prepare our ears for. It's not paradise here. That's what Paul was telling these group of Ephesian believers. Like, if you thought just because you got saved that it was going to be paradise, this ain't paradise. What it is is it's a place where you can be prepared for paradise. He closes verse 3 with this. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The focus is for the body of believers to maintain unity. Not perfection. Unity. He's trying to teach us something this morning. Be bound together by peace and fighting for peace. It's ugly. We come out of Ephesus. We come with vices. We come with all kinds of issues. Grit and bear it. Get ready to do this thing together and focus on unity and focus about being bound by peace, the peace of the Lord. Endeavor means to try to do something to have a goal in mind. I hope most of us this morning are living with goals and aspirations, things that we're trying to do. When it comes to the church, what Paul's saying is this is an endeavor. The best way to look at it is that this pursuit of peace and this long suffering is something that won't end ever. (laughs) That's the endeavor. We have to keep fighting for it. Let's go on to verse four. It says, there's one body, say one. One body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, or in you all. I'm pretty sure God wants us to understand that there's only one. Somebody say amen. Amen. He tells the Ephesians and us that it's going to be extremely difficult a minute ago, right? long-suffering, be gentle, be humble, brace yourself for the impact, endeavor to fight for unity. It's going to be so hard. And then he says, but there's only one body. 
Why do you think that is? He's telling us, you're not going to be able to say, I think I'll find another body. I think I'll find another group of believers. I think I'll find another doctrine. I think I'll find another book. I think I'll find a group of people that I'd rather bear with. No, there's only one. There's one body. There's one father. There's one group of believers and you belong to it. You don't get to choose another one. One baptism into one family with one father. Jesus puts it like this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. There's only one way. There's going to be a lot of expressions of church. There's going to be a lot of expressions of worship. Some of us have traveled and, and been around the world a little bit, and you see because of culture, you see because of geography, you see because of the history, that things may look a little bit different in different places in the, in the world. But what should unite us and what we should always see is that there's one father, and these are his children. You recognize his children because of the way that they live and the way that they relate to him. Right? They may be from another country, but you're like, oh, we have the same father. Is that what you see locally in churches? Is that what you feel as you look at other Christians that you work with? As we look at our kids, do we see, oh, hey, we all have the same father and I can recognize it. That's a son of God. That's a daughter of God. Have we understood this idea that there's only one body? Verse 7 goes on. It says, to each one of us, grace, say grace. Grace. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want to read Luke chapter 6, verse 35, this idea of measure. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high. For he is in kind, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. One father, he says, if you're my child, this is how you should act. Because this is how my family lives. If the measure we use to give is the same measure that we will, uh, that'll be used when we are receiving, doesn't it make sense to give liberally? If the measure you use when you give will be the same exact measure that you receive with, wisdom says give liberally and you'll receive liberally. Yes. But do we believe that? We can understand it. Amen means I agree and I understand. <laughs> Living it, believing it, and acting upon it is something different. Do we give our time to God liberally? Do we, do we give our love to people liberally, liberally, or do we withhold? Do we give our resources liberally? In your experience, have you found that what you give, you get back the same or more since you become a Christian? I got a picture for you. You got that picture? about measure. Did that come through? There you go. What kind of Christian are you? <laughs> what, what measure are you using? 
This is, this is what the scripture is talking about. It's saying, with whatever measure you use when you love people, that's the love you're going to get back. Whatever measure you use when you give into the kingdom of God, that's what you're going to get back. Whatever measure you, you, you use when you go out and say, hey, I want to see people come into the kingdom, like that's the measure that it's going to be given back to you with. So are you using uh, one cup? Or are you on that five-gallon bucket? <laughs> it's measure. That's what the scripture is saying. 10% of your income and two hours a week to come to a Sunday service, that's that little stuff right there. Like, that's what you're going to get back. If, if, if as far as you've gone is, God, here's my tithe, here's my two hours, teach me something about Ephesians. Don't expect to get a lot back from God in your life. The measure that you use, God, here's my kids, here's my time, here's their sports, here's my income. Here's my time that I could be watching TV and I'm going to be praying. Like, here, Lord, I'm giving you more. I'm giving you all that I have. Liberally. Because I understand that I'm going to receive with the same measure that I give. I'm going to be kind to my wife. She deserves it, but at the same time, it's because I want that to come back. <laughs> Amen. With your friendships and your love. Are you the type that has one or two or three or four good friends and then you don't love anybody else? Or do you love uh, us four and no more? You know how it goes, right? Think about it for a second. With the same measure you give, if you only give to three or four, that's all you're going to get back. If you give liberally to your whole community, imagine the love that you get back from your community, right? If you go beyond your three or four into the community and then you say beyond this community of believers, I'm going to go out into the city and actually love on people I don't even know. Imagine the love you will receive back from people you don't even know. Yes, amen. These biblical principles, they're just so good and so true. And you and I have, have we're, we're Americans. We have it in the app. We have it in the Bible for us. We get to come to churches. Imagine the people that Paul is talking to when he's writing this stuff, they've never heard this before. They're huddled together in literally dark rooms, candlelight, with, with the church, the Jews trying to kill them, and the regular Ephesians saying, if you make one more person stop bowing down to, to the goddess Diana, we will kill you. We take it lightly. This is life-giving to them. So back to Ephesians 4, 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. You can put the, leave the picture up there for a second. This says that each one of us have received grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Think about that. Grace in your life, say my life. My life. It's been given to you according to the measure of Christ's gift. Is he using that little cup of grace for you? Is that the measure he used? Think about that for a second. He used more than a bucket of surrender. More than a bucket of love to give each one of us grace. Have we really considered that? He gave up heaven to come for us. Imagine that measure. He's in heaven. And he says, here's the measure I'm going to use to give. I'm going to come out of heaven to come for them. He was sinless, and he gave that up. That's the measure he's using. He's sinless. And he says, I'm going to give this up for them. 
He's a man with flesh. And he says, I'm going to be tortured and murdered. That's the measure he's using to give us grace. It's unparalleled in all of existence. And watch this. Listen to the principle from Luke 6.38. The same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. What does that mean, church? It means that if that's the measure he used when he poured out love and grace on us, that's the measure we have to use when we give love back to him. He deserves the same measure that he gave, he deserves to receive. Do we give love to Christ with the same measure that he gave love and grace to us? He deserves sacrifice. He deserves surrender. He deserves to get it in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. <clears throat> the men at this event asked me to share on, basically on sacrifice and on what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a working man of God. And those of you that know me, you know that I don't really pull any punches. I basically told them, like, suck it up. He deserves it. If you're too tired when you get off work, oh well, be tired. If you got other plans after church, oh well, they got to wait. If you are barely making it, well, you need to give to the Lord and ask your brothers to help you out and kick you down with a couple of bucks. Like, what measure did he give unto us? And you're too tired? You're too sick? Your, your, your family drama is just too much to handle? No, get, get into the presence of God and let him deal with it. He deserves the same measure that he gave to us. You know, I heard Mary say, I remember when he found me on the streets. I remember where he found me. There's, no, there's nothing he can ask of me that's too much. It's because of the measure he used. Let's go on, verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean that, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. This, this scripture gives a lot of people a lot of questions. Did Jesus go to hell? Did Jesus go down into hell? It says that he has descended into the lower parts of the earth. Can he go to hell? Can he be in the presence of all that kind of sin? I'm not going to answer all that for you today. I just want to make a point, and I want to give you something to think about. That is a longer study than we can have time for this morning. The simple truth is this. Jesus, um, it says, is going to fill all things, right? On heaven and on earth, he descended, he ascended. The idea here that I want you to just consider and think about is Jesus is going to go and get sons and daughters from wherever they are, and he is going to populate heaven and earth. Yes. Period, point blank. If he were to do that today, if Jesus came to the earth and only for the living to get sons and daughters, he would have to go to prisons. He would have to go to homeless encampments. He would have to go to ghettos. He would have to go to minimum wage jobs. He would have to go to nice neighborhoods. He would have to go to Beverly Hills. Amen. He would have to go to government buildings. Yes. He would have to go everywhere because sons and daughters are everywhere. Amen. And he will come for us no matter where we are. Right. This is what David says in Psalm 139. If you've never heard this, write it down. You're going to want to read it again. King David says, Oh Lord, 
You search me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it already altogether. You've hedged me behind and before you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as if it was day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We love to quote that last part. You know, the Lord says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what it actually, the context of it is, is that I can't escape him. If I go to heaven, he's there. If I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I'm involved in sin with my friends, he hasn't left me, he's there. If I'm in the church worshiping, he's there. So when he ascended and he first descended, I don't think there's anywhere God can't go. David says that even the darkness is light to you. You're not afraid. There's nowhere that we can hide from you. Deal with that yourself later. <laughs> Let's keep going. Ephesians 4.11. Here we go. He, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we would grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is important to the church. This is important for the church. Verse 11 says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Paul's writing to a New Testament church in Ephesus. It's part of the one and only church that we've been talking about this morning. And he says there's structure. Paul says there's structure. There's order. Apostles. These are sent ones. And I would add that they are uniquely gifted and empowered to carry a message with authority. When, when God, when Jesus sends out apostles, he says, I have a message that I want you to take to people and I give you my authority. When you speak, it's as if I'm speaking. That's what it means to be an apostle. Prophets are proclaimers of truth that will come to pass, but it's not necessarily hidden truth. Don't think of fortune telling like, oh, God, uh, this is going to happen on this particular day at this particular time. And then prophetically speaking it, there is a portion of prophets that that do move in that way. And you see it all throughout scripture. But it's prophetic to say your marriage is going to be restored. Amen. It's prophetic to say you guys are going to serve God for the rest of your lives. Prophets are men and women used by God to speak the truth of God before it's come to pass. 
Evangelists are uniquely gifted to bring people out of the world and into the church. The evangelists are the ones that are able to go back out into Ephesus and bring those Ephesians into the kingdom. It's a unique and special gift. Everybody has a portion that we need to be out there sharing, but there are some who have a gift that's a little bit different, right? Any of us can go to Angel Stadium this week and, and say we're going to preach the truth, but for whatever reason, when Greg Laurie does it, all kinds of people come to Jesus, <laughs> right? He has a unique gift, right? Evangelists. And then the last one, pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers are shepherds and developers and empowerers. This is the structure and the order that God gives for his church. And who does Paul say established that structure? Does Paul say, hey, this is what I think a good idea is. This is how we should do church. Verse 11 says, Jesus himself has done this. He gave these gifts. He gave this to the church. And why? Verse 12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has designed the church and its structure and its ministers with a very specific goal in mind, to equip every saint for the work of ministry. When the Bible says saints, it's not talking about St. Saint, uh, Peter, Santa Maria, uh, uh, St. James, like, that's, that's not what it means. You are the saints. Every single one of you is a saint. So when the Bible says God gave these gifts and these ministers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, it means everybody here, God gave pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets. Why? To equip everybody for work of ministry. We have it backwards. If you came in here thinking that, that something else was supposed to happen other than you being equipped to go and do ministry, you are not going to, to understand the church the way that Paul is explaining it in the scriptures. Ministry is not something that particular leaders do. Ministry is what particular leaders are helping everyone in the church to do. If you ever wonder and ask yourself why things don't seem to be working out the way that you would like them to be, ask yourself, are you coming to be developed to minister or are you coming for some other reason? Things will work out a lot better and you'll see God move a lot more. You'll feel his presence a lot more. You'll hear his voice. If you say, I'm coming to be developed and equipped to minister because that's all he's doing. God is not in the self-help business. This ain't about living your best life. I love that quote now. <laughs> That's like the thing right now everybody's saying, right? Oh, you can live your best life. God is not interested in you living your best life. He's interested in equipping you and in strengthening you and preparing you to minister. He's interested in, he knows this. How many of you have a, a friend at school? Anybody got friends at school? How many of you have coworkers? All right. How many of you know another person that's not here today? All right, so we're good. Everybody raised their hand. So here's what God knows. I'm never going to meet them. Chances are. He's not waiting for them to come here so I can tell them about Jesus. He's equipping you to tell them about Jesus. That's what his goal is. God, I wish we understood the church and what we were coming for, and then we wouldn't get mad when other stuff happens. 
Like when somebody comes to me and talks to me, they're mad at me or they're mad at somebody else. I'd be like, oh, you forgot that it's, it's not about that. It's about you being equipped to go and share the love of Jesus. Dang it, I forgot about that. I'm sorry. Church is for believers. Church is for members. Um, we come here to be strengthened and be encouraged, to be developed and to be equipped. But church members are for the lost. We're supposed to go out back into the world and be strong, be encouraged, and be the salt and light of the world. Yes. Our understanding of ministry needs to be broadened. Uh, I want to give you an example. I need young people. Um, I need one, two, uh, three, four, five. Yeah, I need all of you guys. I need two more. Um, let's use RJ. Come on up here. Young man, can I call you out? What's your name? Huh? Cody, come on up here, young man. All you guys, come on up here. Give these guys a hand real quick. All right. Come on over here, RJ. There we go. And then, Christian, you can be there. That's good. You guys can all stay in the line right there. All right. So we are going to do an experiment about, about the body, the body of Christ, right? So RJ is going to be this portion of the body from the elbow, or from the shoulder to the elbow. <laughs> Christian is going to be from the elbow to the wrist. And then these one, two, three, four. Oh, no, Gilbert, I need you, man. Come on up here. Five. You guys are the hand. <laughs> All right? All right? So, so the hand, why don't you guys put your shoulder, like, arm around the shoulder like this so that we have one hand. There you go. There you go. You guys are connected like a hand. All right? Now I need, let's make it, let's make it easy. We'll use this little bottle of water right here. We're going to put this thing right here. Now, what we need our, our arm and our hand to be able to do is to just pick up that bottle of water. All right? Yeah, this is, this, is, this is our arm. You know what part you are, right? You're from the shoulder, right? You're from the shoulder down, so I'll, I'll be the body. I'll be the rest of the body right here. So you're my arm, you're my shoulder. So what are you, you going to do? What are you going to do first? This is, this is the shoulder. There's your elbow down there. There's your elbow. What do you got to do? Forward, I guess. Okay. So why don't you why don't you do this? You lay down. Lay down. Lay yep. Down. Put your head over here by the drums, because your elbow's all off on the other side now. All right. So there we go. So we got a shoulder to a to an elbow here. Go ahead, kick those legs up. Shoulder to an elbow. Now who's next? What what do we need to do? All right. There's the elbow to the wrist. All right. Now let's let's slide our hand over. And Wes, why don't you go? You're the middle of our hand, so you'll connect right there to the to the wrist. And then here's, here's our bottle. Oh, no, you got to stay up. You got to stay up. There you go. So there's your, there's your ends of your fingers. Why don't you guys kick those fingers in and see if you can pick up that bottle. <laughs> All right. Not bad. We dislocated our wrist, but we're okay. All right. Now let's, let's stop right there. Stay, stay where you are, the rest of our arm. All right. So, so now let's say, church, what we're aspiring for is over here. What do we need? We need some legs. We need the rest of the body. We can't accomplish what it is that, that we're set out to do without every part of the body, right? 
Give these guys a hand. No pun intended. <laughs> Give these guys a hand. Now I'm going to reread verse 15 to you guys and 16. It says, Grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We are the body and we all have to do our part. Amen. We don't see the church the way God is describing the church to us. Cody, have we ever met before? Never met before. But you know what? Today you're a part of the body. Today, today you walk into a church and they call you up and they put you on the stage and it's like, I didn't sign up for this. There are Christians who have been part of God's church for a decade and they're still saying, I didn't sign up for this. And you know what that does to the body? We can never reach what it is that God is telling us to grasp. You're not here just to be here. You are a leg, you are a toe, you are a belly button, you are something. You matter to the body. And God's not saying that he would rather have another piece. He's not saying there's a better finger out there. He's not saying there's a better wrist out there. He's saying you are who I called, this is the body, get right. We need to be healthy, we need to be strong, we need to be united, we need to be moving together. And Christ is the head, which means he is the one that tells us what it is that we should be reaching for. And we just listen, we work together, and we understand that we're connected. So my health matters, right? Christian was the elbow to the wrist. You know what's crazy? Like, RJ from the elbow, or excuse me, from the shoulder to the elbow could be healthy and strong and reading and praying and worshiping. And our, all five of our members of our hand, they could be healthy and strong and reading and praying. But if Christian, no pun intended, <laughs> if Christian from the elbow to the wrist is unhealthy, he's contaminating everybody. Yeah. He's making the body sick. It's cancerous, and eventually it's going to kill the rest of the body. If you think your faith is only about you, some, some of us don't mind dying. But when you realize you're part of a body and you're making everybody else sick, it takes on a little bit more importance. What did Paul say? There's only one body. There's only one faith. There's only one community and you're a part of it. Another thing that happens is we decide that we want to be the head, right? Like, what do you mean I got to lay down because I'm the shoulder to the, to the elbow? You want me to lay down? What do you mean I got to hug these, these other guys that I might not necessarily know or like? I don't want to do that. I'd like to be the head. Unfortunately, in this body, Christ is always going to be the head. You don't get to be the head. We do marriage counseling a lot of times here. You know what I tell the couples? Anything with two heads is a monster. Anything with two heads is a monster. If Jesus can't be the head, we don't make the mistake of thinking that you are the head of your own body. You're not. You are making a monster. Say, move on. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians 4, 17. 
This I say, therefore, Paul gives this, this body talk. Then he says, this I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, they've given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Starts talking about walking worthy again, right? Understand what you're a part of. He's saying you can't walk like the Gentiles. They don't see the body like you guys now see the body. They still think of themselves as individuals doing what they want to do, how they want to do, and it doesn't hurt anybody. It's their life. It's their body. They'll do what they want with it. You can't walk like that anymore. You're now part of the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You are connected to the rest of us. Church, stop complaining. Stop looking for a way out. Stop looking for a way to do less and stop isolating yourself. Those are no longer options to us. Start working out. Get strong spiritually for the rest of the body. Paul contrasts doing that with the alternative of staying in the world. And he says, in verse 19, he says, those people that stay in the world are those who are being past feeling. They've given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They've given themselves over to that. This is what it sounds like in Romans 1.18. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. People are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God and they, neither were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It goes on and on, and I'm going to stop there, but Paul says to the Ephesians, these people that are still living the Ephesus life, they've given themselves over to that life. And then to the Romans, Paul writes that God will give you over to that life if that's the life you want to live. It's called free will. God loves you so much that whatever life you want to live, he lets you have it. If you want to stay in Ephesus and you want to live that life, God says, I'll give you over to that because I'm not going to control you. I'm not going to make you love me or serve me. I'm also not going to make you come out of that darkness. You get to choose whichever one you want. And Paul's telling the believers, you can't walk that way anymore. If you've made this decision, get with the body. Verse 20 of Ephesians, he says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him and you've been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. What I found in the church is that a lot of people love God with all their heart and with all their soul. 
as much of their strength as they can muster up. He even says in our weakness, he is strong, right? His strength is seen. But it's rare to see people loving God with all their mind. We don't read. We don't think deeply about the things of God. He says meditate. We don't take our courses serious. We offer courses here in this church. Not so that we can get an accreditation, so that we can teach you how to love God with your mind. We talk about it amongst the, uh, the leaders and amongst the, the men even most recently. Uh, some of the guys I was talking to on Friday night about their courses. And, well, why? Well, if you can't explain to somebody what your salvation means, you're not loving God with your mind. If you can't explain to somebody what baptism means, you're not loving God with your mind. If you can't articulate prayer, you're not loving God with your mind. Why would Jesus say the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? He gave us a mind and he wants us to use it. We don't have to be rocket scientists. When we want to learn about the things of God, God will teach us. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I wonder, I really, I want to ask you, I just want to think about it and I'm going to move on. If you knew, do you know, maybe it's a better question to ask, that some of the deepest desires for spirituality and growth and change and transformation and um, healing in your life will actually come from the knowledge in your mind about who God is? I didn't think about this, but on Friday night when I was done sharing, they started asking questions. And somebody asked me, um, what do you do for, like, peace, to relax, to, to, to get... Some of the guys might remember, but that was along the lines of the question. And I began to tell them that when I got saved, I lived in Ephesus. I lived with my brother. We were getting high every day. We were getting drunk every day. And I got saved, and, and God didn't say, oh, I'm going to move you to paradise. I have an Eden for you. He was like, no, you got to still live in Ephesus. You owe half of that rent. <laughs> you got to live in Ephesus. So I'd wake up. I'd shower. I went from being unsaved one day, getting loaded with my, with my brother, to the very next day, like, I got to... I'm not going to do that anymore. So I'd lock my door, I'd lock myself in the room, and I'd open this book. The things that God began to do in my life, the deliverance, I never got high again after that day, like so many things, so many amazing things began to happen, but it was not because of experiences that I was having based on going necessarily to church or doing this thing or that men's event. All of it was connected, but the vast majority I was just by myself in a room in the middle of Ephesus, Ephesus reading this thing. And it was like my brain that had been dulled and turned off because of weed for 10 years every single day, all of a sudden, it was like it was being born again. My brain was starting to work, and I was starting to see who God is and who I am and what I had done and the measure <laughs> that he used to pull me out of that. Yeah, and everything began to change. Right. And, and when I look at people and I'm like, Hey, what'd, what'd you read? And they're like, I don't read. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It would sound crazy for a pastor to tell you this, but stop coming to church, read. <laughs> when you read, you'll want to be in church. But if you just come to church, you might not want to read. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let's finish up. 
I'm going to read just the last few verses, and we're going to close. Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Yeah, I lied. I got I to gotta talk about this one. Be angry and do not sin. God did not tell us to not get angry. He gets angry about a whole lot of stuff. When your anger becomes sin is when you make it about you and you don't think about forgiveness and you don't think about actually dealing with the problem and you focus on the person, right? Like, he says, get angry. That's right. But don't sin. Jesus is with Peter and Peter says, no, you can never die. And Jesus says, I'm angry. Get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. Get behind me. And he says, but Peter, I love you, man. And when you figure this out, I need to help my people. Because he can get angry without sinning. He says, don't let the sun go down on your, on your wrath. You know what that means? Many of us are in cycles of unforgiveness because we had initially, it was righteous anger, but then we let it turn into something else. And now we're broken, now we're hurting, now the relationships are not restored because we let the sun go down. We kept that anger. Verse 28, let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Two points I want to make. The, the, the first is about tenderhearted. And I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I, but I want to share it with you guys. Um, how many of you guys know Junior? He got up here and shared earlier. Amen. <laughs> So Junior's a big dude, and, and Junior's like, you know, he looks like he might be like rough around the edges. He's been through some things. And he's been here for, for a long time with us, and God's been, been good in his life. And uh, so on Friday night, a couple things about being tenderhearted. On Friday night, we're, we're in my truck, and we're like, all right, everybody pick a song, right? And so I, I picked one, I played a worship song, and we went through, and then Junior, I think, was the last one. And so, you know, we're thinking like, oh, he's about to put something rough and crazy and, you know, some Christian hip hop. It's going to be crazy. It was like the softest song that, you, that you've ever heard, right? And, and I, I told him, I've been playing it on repeat ever since on Friday night when, when we listened to it. Uh, but it was like, it was, it was soft and it was worship. And, and he was like, man, I've been listening. This is my song right now, he told us. You know what I mean? Like that takes me to that place. Last week, we had life groups on, on Wednesday night. And Mary had been talking to the life group host that, that Junior's in that life group. And after, after the life group, Junior stayed after. I hope you don't mind me sharing. But Junior stayed after, and he told his host how much he loves them, how much he appreciates them, how, much, how grateful he is for the life group and what they do, what they set aside, and how they're, how they're growing together. And I, this was on Wednesday. So on Thursday, me and, Ms., me and Mary were having this conversation. And literally, the words that came out of my mouth, I said, I said, man, Junior's been so, like, tender lately. Like, just, like, there's something tender about him lately. Then on Friday night, when we're done with all the men, we're about to leave from, from uh, having dinner at The Habit, and he did the same thing. He came up to me, and he put his hands on my shoulders. Like, he's big, so he's, like, down on me like this. 
And at first I'm like, come on, man, I'm feeling like, I'm a man too. But he, but he put his hands on my, on my shoulders and he just began to tell me, he was like, man, I'm, I'm so glad I was here. I'm so glad about what happened tonight and some of the things that I saw and some of the things that we talked about. And I thought to myself, like, man, Lord, this is, this is, this is manhood, yes. right? Like there's strength, yes. there's determination, there's sacrifice, there's all those other things, but that doesn't exclude being tender, being tenderhearted. And lately, brother, I just want to tell you, man, like it's, it's, it's coming off of you, bro. It's special. It's special. <laughs> that's what God is talking about here when he's saying that's how we need to operate with each other. And the last thing, all the things that, he's, that Paul's saying here at the end of Ephesians, I just want to read verse 28 to you. Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working what is good with his hands working with his hands, what is good, right? If you stole, stop stealing. Pretty simple, right? Work and labor with your hands. Like, this should be physical. This should be something you feel. This should be something that you are engaged in and tangible. But listen to what he says. Do all that, that you may have something to give him who has need. Everything we've talked about today has been about the body, right? And that's what Paul kind of closes with. He says, it ain't even about you. Should you stop stealing if you're a thief? Yes. Should you work if you have been lazy? Yes. Should you do something that you can see the fruit of your labor and all that kind of stuff? Yes. And, but then he says, but just so you know, it's not even about you. I just want you to have something that you can give to somebody else who's in need. Like, that's the picture of the church, is everything that needs to happen in your life, God is going to do it, but it's not necessarily for you. It's for other people. He didn't give you a job so you can have a bunch of more stuff. He wants you to be taken care of. He wants your family to be taken care of. But when somebody's hungry, he wants you to buy them a meal. When somebody's cold, he wants you to give them a jacket. Not so that they can just be warm, so that they can know God sees you. Yes. He sent one of his sons to you. He sent one of his daughters to you. When we do Sidewalk Sanctuary this afternoon, it's not so we can have a few more people sitting in church with us. It's because we understand the body. And we understand that today, somebody is out there like that bottle of water, and they don't know Jesus. They're broken. They're hurting. They're trying to deal with it the way that we used to deal with it when we were in Ephesus. And everything we do in this church is not so that we can live our best life. <laughs> it's so we can get a couple more shoulder to elbows doing what they're supposed to do and a couple more elbows to wrist doing what they're supposed to do, and a couple more fingers operating the way that they're supposed to operate so that we can do what God has called us to do, which is just, just reach one more. Yeah. Just reach one more. You matter. You matter in the kingdom. You matter immensely. There's nobody in this church more important than the next person. I'm the pastor and I get to preach, I get to teach, I get to shepherd. But at the end of the day, some of you are the hand, and without you, we're not going to grab hold of anybody. Why don't we stand? Amen. This, this series through Ephesians, I know it's been a lot of teaching. It's been a lot of uh, um, information. But I think it also uh, has the potential to renew our minds.
Can we get a little bit of light up here? <laughs> what does it mean that he ascended, but he first descended into the darkness? Hallelujah. So listen, uh, as we always do at, at the end of every service, we give people an opportunity to, uh, to make a decision to come out of darkness and into the light. You know, when you read through the scriptures, you know, we've all heard different things about church and we've all heard how things are supposed to go and what's supposed to happen and why do I go to church so that I can become good enough for, for God and, and we come in with all these preconceived notions, which is why we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We have to understand what the scriptures actually say. What the scriptures say about the Ephesians is that Paul went into a group and there was 12 disciples there. 12 men who had heard about Jesus and he began to teach them more about Jesus and give them real understanding about what it means to be uh, a son of God. And those 12 began to tell others, others began to come and a church was birthed. All the people that, that came into um, that body of believers, that one body that we're still a part of, it was very simple. At, at some point, they just responded to God. Paul would teach them, Paul would tell them, and at some point they said, you know what? I don't know if there is any other way for me to be forgiven than this Jesus dying for me. I don't believe that there's another hope for me here in Ephesus. I don't believe that I'll ever be good enough to deserve God. And if you're telling me that he knew that and he poured out love with this measure and all I have to do is say, I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus, and that he'll begin to live in me, he'll begin to teach me, he'll begin to change me, and that's how it has happened ever since. So this morning, I want to extend an invitation to anybody who's here that would say, for whatever reason, today's your day, that you just want to put your faith in Jesus. You want to say, if that's the measure of love he has for me, I want to receive it. He'll make you right. He'll forgive you. He'll change your life. He'll fix every wrong. He'll save you, and then he'll use you to see others saved. But it comes down to a decision, and there's no time like the present. The body would love to welcome you in as part of the body. You are valuable here. There is a family here that wants you. You're not an orphan. You're not an afterthought. You're not the leftovers. The body needs you. And the Lord has called you for that reason. So if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, between you and the Lord right now, you know he's calling you. You know you want that forgiveness. You know you want salvation. Would you just raise your hand so that I can see you? But you don't have to leave out of this place the same way that you came in. Anybody this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You feel his presence. You want to respond. Would you raise your hand? Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. I see you, young lady. God sees you. God sees you. Anybody else would join our sister and say, I need Jesus? Hallelujah. Such a brave soul. Anybody else before we move on? Today's your day. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we thank you for our sister. We thank you for whatever the circumstances of her life, whatever they've been that have led her to this moment, Lord, they've all been worth it, Lord. All the pain, all the uncertainty, all the brokenness, Mm, all the anger, all the unforgiveness, Lord God. You were using all of it to put her in the position she finds herself in this morning, Lord, where she can just let it all wash away, Lord. 
I pray that you would pour out upon her your presence, Lord. You've already poured out your love and your grace and your forgiveness, but pour your presence upon her in a way that she has never experienced before, Lord. Seal her with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and then renew her mind. Let her love you with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. For the rest of you, we're going to open the altars. We're going to open communion. We have a prayer team that will pray with you if you come to the altar. If there's anything that ministered to you, I'm going to pray and open the altars, and we'll just let the Lord move. So, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your service. I thank you for the body, Lord God. I thank you that it's not ultimately about us, that you came and that you died for our salvation, and there's nothing more important than that, Lord God. But beyond that, you're going to heal us. You're going to change us. You're going to restore us. You're going to reconcile us. But you're going to do that for others, Lord. You do that in a husband's life for his wife. You do that in a wife's life for her husband. You do that in parents' life for their children. You do that in our children's life for their friends, Lord God. You do it in the life of a church for the broken community that's still out there in Ephesus, Lord God. Let us be a healthy body that is constantly listening to you as the head and telling us where to go and what to do, Lord God. As we come, heal us at this altar. As we receive communion, Lord, let us remember that your body was broken, your blood was shed, Lord, that that's the measure you used to give us grace and to give us love, Lord. Watch over us as we go out into that dark world, Lord. Remind us that you're with us. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Altars are open. Communion is open. You're free and released. Amen. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.